bulletin says I'm going to be reading just three verses from Ephesians. That's incorrect. It's my mistake. Not Lida's or the printers. Um, I'm going to be reading starting in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work in the, at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. I got to see Lynn Schoenhart this week, one of the perks of being a pastor. Some of you know Lynn, others of you don't. She's doing quite well. And she was quite clear that she thinks the vision series should be over. She's done with it. <laughs> and we laughed together, and I said, just one more week, and then for the whole rest of the spring until the middle of June, we're going to preach about Jesus. Attribute at a time. The theology that tells us who he is, his actions that tell us more about his heart, his stories that teach us about God. But we have one more <laughs> vision series uh, sermon to go. And the reason that I do a vision series is not only because I want you to understand um, the church that you're in, but also because it's our path for discipleship, the way that we flourish as human beings in this world that is as dark as verses 1 through 3 in Ephesians 2 just told us, is through engaging in, enjoying worship and community and faithful presence. Enjoying honoring God because he's holy and good, enjoying friendship because the state of being a human is one of loneliness, and one of the most profound gifts in the kingdom is spiritual friendship, and then finding the good works that we were created to do, verse 10, out in the world with our family, perhaps through your vocation, but certainly not limited to that, certainly within the church, but not just within the church. So the reason that we talk about these things is to remind one another that God not only calls us to himself and so we worship together, he not only gives us a spiritual family, which is such a lovely gift, but he gives us both regular and specific work to do. Mike Scudder read the text in the 9 o'clock service and I love the way he paused. I tried to do it, but I can't quite do it the way Mike does it. But I love the beginning of verse 4. But God. This is why we're here, right? We're concerned about wars and rumors of wars. 
and we trust God. We have our anxieties about today and our fears about the future, but God. We have concerns, but God. And the reason I wanted to back up, I'm mostly going to talk about verses 8, 9, and 10, but the reason I wanted to back up in verses 1 through 3 is remembering the bad and sin and evil in the world, where it comes from, why it's there, is part of the reason the good news is so very, very, very sweet. And it's so interesting to me that Paul says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Because one chapter before, he's going to talk about how many of us were Jesus's before we were born. Chapter 1, verse 3. I mean, Ephesians is probably the most direct engagement with the, the doctrine of predestination, that God saves people before they're even aware of it much of the time. And yet here he also says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Paul's a, a lovely reminder that we can run from God not only by living however we feel like, but also through religion. In his case, violent religion. A little bit like Jonah. A little bit like the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15 about the one son that ran through wild living and the other son that ran through doing everything right and the dripping resentment and judgmentalism that came with that was even uglier than a licentious life. I think Paul's remembering his own story when he wrote that we all once walked that way. And I would love to sit with him and say, and may, I don't think I will in heaven because I won't care anymore about questions like this, but I want to be like, so wait a minute. Let's look at chapter one and then let's look at chapter two. Like, I know about Jesus knocking you off your horse. That was crazy. Tell me more about that. And then two hours later, were you already saved or not? But what Paul, what matters more to him is to begin this praise of God who, yes, lets us walk in our own ways if we so choose, but because he's rich in mercy, guides us into a better way. We start with the good news, which is that God is rich in mercy. Sometime this spring, we will have a whole sermon devoted to these three little words, because what would it be like if we actually were grasped by this truth that God is rich in mercy? What would it be like if we didn't forget it, because we're so prone to forget these promises? How much more joy is available to us? And we have to grapple with it, because it doesn't feel like he's rich in mercy some of the time, or perhaps even most of the time. And yet here's the promise that is part of the living argument when the world tries to convince us of this, or when our false selves try to convince us of that, or when the evil one tempts us to despair or disproportionate fear. We remember that God is rich in mercy. And he, the gospel frees us. Look at verse four. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. I love the way he switches the verb tenses. So that's like he did that, and then he's gonna say, 
by grace you have been saved, that happened in the past, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is an imaginative spiritual description of the legal work of Jesus that makes us right with God because of what he did. Jesus is in heaven and spiritually we are too because we get to be with him because of what Jesus did. He made us alive together, not our service, not our knowledge, not our prayer, not being nice. I won't belabor this point, but from 18 to 32, I was pretty convinced that the chief fruit of the Spirit was niceness. And I called a lot of evil not evil. I don't want to belabor that, but it's not a fruit of the Spirit. There's something more, and it begins with receiving that we've been saved by grace, that we're seated, that we're raised up. This passive, and that when, when, especially in the New Testament letters, when you see passive voice or past tense language, embedded in that are some of the most glorious promises of God that you receive by the Holy Spirit. and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's happening right now, but we only partially understand it because the world still looks and is experienced like verses one through three. And yet when we go to be with Jesus or when he returns, we'll start to understand how our faithfulness here to him, our fidelity to him, is gathered up by him and turned into kingdom work. That's Paul's lofty description of our small acts, as we would esteem them, of worship, community, faithful presence, of honoring God, of befriending one another, of going into the world as his agents of peace and reconciliation. And the ways look small. But in his hands, they are turned into glorious kingdom work. I think verse 7 is experiencing all three steps of the gospel. You're loved, your need was 100% to be saved, and you have a role to play. In the three ways, in the three opportunities we have to respond to the gospel that are on the front of your bulletin, because he made us alive together. And if you've been thinking since I was talking about vision at the beginning, you haven't been talking about vision, it's because it's always because the gospel is true and empowering and motivating. It's not because of any cleverness or lack thereof. in what or how we do things as a church. But this is the part where I talk about our vision. There's a speaker that I like, Andy Stanley. He's a Baptist, and he writes a lot about leadership, and he has a leadership podcast, absolute gold, parents. He and his wife do a two-part podcast um, where they talk about how they parented. It's incredible. Anyway, that's off the subject. One of the things he likes to say at his church is only do what only you can do. Like as a focusing statement, right? Like if you're good in this lane, like get in that lane and stay with it. And then he says, but when you're home, 
No. <laughs> like, do whatever needs to be done when you're home, right? So one of you is not as good at washing the dishes. You still need to wash the dishes, I'm going to even say much of the time, right? So if church is a family on mission, we get to live in the tension of, yes, you're skilled and affectionate towards certain things that are specific, only do what only you can do, but also we have some work to do in the kingdom, and we're going to need to step into that. We're going to need to engage. This is a roundabout, somewhat indirect way for me to say for one last week before we just start talking about Jesus exclusively. I hope you get engaged in the honoring of God on Sunday mornings here, the pathways of spiritual friendship here, and in our ways of being faithfully present in the community. And there are versions of all of those that anybody can do. Anybody can be on first impressions. You can welcome people when they come in the door. Anybody can work with children, I think. You might not enjoy teaching, so you'll need to be next to a teacher, but you could help. In community, there are things that we can do that are little, but over time, in the hands of the Lord, are part of what and how we do in terms of getting to know one another. So when we're able to start drinking coffee again, I know I've got my coffee up here. We're actually going to have coffee after this service. It's not just me. You'll get some coffee after the service. Thank you, Patty Peck, Janice Carroll, John Peck. And we try to remember names. I have to write them down a lot. If you want to make me feel really uncomfortable, you can say, when you first met me, did you have to write my name down? And I'll probably remember, and it's probably 50% of you whose names I remember. I had to write it down. But that's part of the way that we grow in our knowledge of one another. In terms of the, of the faithful presence, everyone here can remember to donate to the food pantry. Liam, will you scroll to their note? Sorry, it's out of order, so I can't control it. So last month, I think, where Sue Olson, was it last month? Sorry, I, I should not do that. Last month, Simsbury is moving where they store their food, and so we took our donation to Canton. And here's the nice note, note they wrote. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, thank you for the food collection you recently donated to us because Simsbury Food Bank was not accessible. Special thanks for bringing all the food. Bless all of you. And then their regular note. Sorry, I forgot your name was on there. I knew I shouldn't have done that. It's a small thing, but it's what Jesus said his followers do because he loved them. They feed the hungry. And where our vision gets a little bit unique is how we use the retreat center. And we don't use it exclusively for this, but we want to bring in these rescue groups. And I know may maybe a third of you can be involved in bringing them in, cooking for them, maybe going on a walk with them. But every one of you can know one of these groups and their staff and perhaps who from the church volunteers for them and you can pray for them. And in the kingdom, that's actually powerful. One of the blessings that I get, one of the perks of my job, and there are a lot, and there are some not so perky things about it, one of the perks is because I get to meet a lot of these directors, my children, my children know the work that they do. My children can tell you something about most of those ministries. And it's actually because of you who have gotten involved volunteering with them, then, or Carrie Reeves has introduced me to them, so then I get to meet their directors or dynamic people. We'll hear, we'll hear a, a little bit more about that next week. I know not all of you are going to volunteer down there, but all of you could introduce these organizations around your dinner table. Pray for their staff who really need it. 
they minister in some dark, cold, challenging places that most of us won't go. But we can all know them, pray for them, support them. Some of them do prayer newsletters often, too often. You don't want to get the newsletter? That's okay. But all of us can support them in that way. Liam, go back to the, to the Venn diagram. And I, I know I've showed this before, and I'm just, this is going to be the last time I show it for at least nine months, as far as I can tell, probably longer. If you're wondering, what's my calling in the church? This is my best shot at helping you determine that. It's important to pay attention to your affections. Sometimes we can overly pay attention to your affections, right? Like, what are you passionate about? As though that's all that matters. Listen, I made handmade gnocchi last week. Gnocchi, you know, the little uh, potato stuff. And it was pretty good. And I did that because I love cooking. There are 10 of you in this room. I guarantee it'll be 10 years before my gnocchi's half as good as yours. So it's fine that I'm passionate about cooking, but I'm not good at it yet. I'm okay. I'm all right. A lot better than I used to be, okay? Affections matter, though. Passions matter. They're part of it. But what are you actually good at also? But if you're just in gifts and affections, and you're not paying attention to your circumstances, your family and your friendships will get sacrificed. If you're just passionate all the time and making sure you're serving where you're good all the time. If you're just in circumstances, you're just surviving. So circumstances and affections is me helping the deacons too much. I'm the unhelpful student in the kitchen. And you all the deacons have permission to kick me out if I come in, okay? Some of you are good about that. Some of you get nervous. But it's not just our gifts and our circumstances. It does matter what you care about. What we long for is to hold those up before the Lord, probably talk with some friends. What am I good at? What do I care about? What are my circumstances? What would my circumstances limit me from engaging in at this time? Because listen, this is really important. This is really important. Listening? This is me yelling. Your limits are always welcome here. More importantly, your limits are always a part of your calling. Always. Okay? The gospel frees us into good work because we are his workmanship. Why why did Paul need to say, for by grace you have been saved through faith, in verse 8? He just said it in verse 5. Because we forget. And our restlessness and our false selves and the world would say, no, it's actually what you do. You need to do things for God to make him happy. You're only loved if you're useful or helpful. We forget that, we ra- that he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. So Paul reminds us that it's by grace, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why were you created? Indirectly in verse 10, he's saying you were created to honor God and to worship him. And he has given work for you to do. And it's not exclusively in the church, but it certainly includes the church. Some of the work he has for you to do is around here. 
And some of it's in your neighborhood, and some of it's in your family, your extended family, and your local family. Do you wonder why you were created? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were created to carry his name with honor into the world, in your family. That's the third commandment and I think is indirectly referenced here. And I love this work. I think the ESV nails it with the word workmanship. It's one word in the Greek. But it's the word poema. I was thinking about writing it. Pro Presenter has a thing where I can like write with my finger and I'm like, I shouldn't write Greek with my finger on an iPad. I'm just not going to do that. What word does it sound like? Poem. Now, it's a more intricate word than that, but it's not less beautiful and specifically designed and lovingly formed than a poem. Workmanship is a good translation, but it's a reminder of how specifically God loves and created you to glorify him and enjoy him forever through worship, community, faithful presence. Would you pray with me? God, we praise you that you rescued us from being children of wrath. We are so thankful that you are rich in mercy. Thank you for making us alive together with Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would help us know what is and is not ours to do as a church and as individuals, as families. And Lord, we praise you that all of this has been proven and empowered because you rose from the dead. So as we sing about these promises, Lord, would you fill us full with a sense of your love, calling, and grace in our life. Amen.